You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Crump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and the SoundCloud today. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Grump, I have this weird feeling coming over me. It's the feeling of victory. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's the New York groove. Yeah, I think we're back in it, actually. I didn't think I'd have to hear that song again this year, but it looks, <laughs> looks like we're going to. You know, something, even the fact that we scored some touchdowns made it, we actually got to hear it, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Giants came up victorious on a West Coast trip after their bye, beating the San Francisco 49ers 27-23. to Kind of a crazy, uh, crazy atmosphere with the, um, with the fires looming. You saw people in the stands with, uh, you know, masks on. The, the field was in terrible shape. You know, Beckham twice slipped on routes. Mm. Uh, you know, it was just... A weird situation. You know, two bad teams playing on prime time. You know, ESPN giving up a, a complete subpar performance on Monday Night Football. Ugh. So it's one of those. We'll, we'll get into that later. Don't worry. But um, you know, what does the win mean? And should you be excited as a Giant fan who ultimately needs us to tank? These are all things we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I want to address that kind of first. Uh, but before I get into that, just be sure to follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud for all future episodes. And you can also go into the archives there and listen to some older episodes. See if you can catch us on a lie. You won't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, iTunes and SoundCloud, just search Just Giants. Tell your friends about it as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump. And the cranky fan is at the cranky fan. Yes, sir. Um. Regarding the win, I'm. I, let's face facts here. This season is over. Odell's, you know, media-friendly response to run the table, go nine and seven, and hope you make the playoffs, is obviously the hope for everybody. The goal of the football season is to get in the playoffs and make some noise and make a run at the Super Bowl. Once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. So, yeah, I, I kind of want that. To and we're not mathematically eliminated yet either. No. So, oh. <laughs> you know, their mantra in, you know, players and coaches are not general managers and not team owners. They are not looking at next year. They are looking at right now. Players are playing for jobs yeah. for next year. They're playing to make the playoffs. And that's what they're going to, until the directive is otherwise, they're going to play to win. Yeah. And, and I wholeheartedly understand the situation that this organization is in. Uh, they are not likely to go to the playoffs this season it's very very unlikely um and with that being said the worse they do the better draft position they're in whether they choose to take a guy that high or use that asset to trade down and get more assets or something to help rebuild this team i understand that but what i don't understand is the fan reaction to be upset that the Giants won. I mean, the goal every week is to win. I understand that maybe you want Justin Herbert and we're only going to get him if we go first in the draft. But, you know, I don't understand. This is entertainment. Uh, you know, I, I watch this to have fun. 
I don't want watching it for the future is like work to me. Like it's kind of like working for a paycheck to buy a thing later. That's not what sports is supposed to be. You're supposed to be entertained by this. I mean, I'm not going to try and tell you how to live your life, but it seems like a miserable existence to be wasting your time for three hours watching a game and hoping to see an abysmal performance and a loss. You know, I personally enjoyed watching them. Even if they had lost last night, I enjoyed how competitive they looked and how much like an actual offense I saw on the field. You know, we'll get into the details in just a minute, but, you know, I'm in a good mood. You know, I, I understand that this hurts their draft position, but this but is all about know. entertainment. You know, I, I had a good time. Well, Grump, the first thing is we're only in week nine. Was it week 10 we just finished? Yes. We don't know. We don't know any draft positions right now. We don't know what's going to happen. The NFL is not like college football where you can pretty much predict that Ohio State's either going to be 11 and 1 or 10 and 2. The NFL is crazy. We've seen so many teams swoon in the final month. We've seen so many teams that we weren't sure going to make the playoffs all of a sudden run the table and win the Super Bowl. So, you know, I don't think anybody thinks that the New York Football Giants are a 1 in 15 team. I don't think anybody thinks that this is the worst team in the NFL. It's a bad team. It is a structurally flawed team that needs to be rebuilt. It needs, you know, we all know what the the needs are of this team. We, we listen to this show every week. You're, you know, you're not a, a dumb giant fan. You know what the problems are. We are, you know, this team is going to win some games and they're going to lose a lot of games. It's it's too early to kind of. And also, the big thing is. We don't know who it, what the draft holds. We don't know who's going to be coming out early as a you know a junior. We don't know what the Giants are going to do in free agency. We don't know what the Giants are going to do for as far as trading. We don't know anything yet. All those things are to be determined. So, you know, and also a lot of people, when they're thinking about the draft, they just think about what they know. The New York Giant fan base the vast, vast majority lives in the Northeast, an area that does not have college football in their blood. They know Justin Herbert because they've been told by Mike Francesa and they've been told by all the other sheep in the media he's the best quarterback in college. Nobody's seen him play. I guarantee it. Nine out of ten Giant fans have not seen live footage of him play. They don't know. They just know what they've been told. They, I'm sure, have not seen Drew Locke. I'm sure they've not seen Will Greer. I'm sure they never, ever, ever heard of Kyle Oletta at this time last year. You don't know. So just because, you know, oh, what did, you know, Herbert had a bad first half against Washington. Obviously, you know, he may not be the, the, the pick. Or we heard their coaches say they don't think he's coming back. So all of a sudden, well, he's probably not coming back. What do we do now? Stop with all that bullshit. We're still in week 10. We're not even Thanksgiving. When you're watching the 60 minutes, hope we win. You know, be excited by little things that you see. This was a grudge match for me because of SF Madden being a, a giant, uh, 49er fan, and I am very happy, and I stuck it in their face when we won last night. Those are the little things you have to kind of enjoy because, like you said, you know, playing the long game constantly, you know, if you're a Brown fan or you're, a, you know, a, a Vikings fan who hasn't had a win in – 40 years, your life's going to pass you by. Yeah, I, I understand that in this day and age of, you know, analytics and information at our fingertips, the, 
the mindset of being a you know couch GM and you know there's nothing wrong with that. But don't spend so much time being a GM that you stop being a fan. That's all. right. Yeah, it's like one step below being a political pundit who every time anything happens, you look through the lens of how am I, you know, campaigning for my candidate. It's it's that annoying. Nobody wants to be around you. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk to you about politics or sports if that's the way you're going to address it. It it saps all the fun out of, you know, trash talking and just being a fan. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, we're in week 10 right now. This team, like I said, is probably going to be awful. It's probably going to be somewhere between, you know, three and four wins. You don't know who's going to be worse than us and what their needs are going to be, what they're going to do in, you know, trades free agency before the draft. You don't know who may trade up. You don't know anything. So do what you can control. You know, watch your team and you know, try to be an optimist and try to root for your team when they have a chance to win. Yeah, that was just our little our PSA right there. A little soapbox. Yeah. Um, but I, I think probably one of the, the the second best thing to come out of this game besides the score is uh, no injuries. No injuries to speak of. Nobody really even went down in the game, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, we you don't want to limp into the end of the season. You know, we're still trying to implement a new offense and a new defense. I know that's something we've been talking about all preseason and the early part of the year, but that is going to be a season-to-seasons-long journey. Mm-hmm. And if you start losing four of your five offensive linemen, you lose your quarterback, you lose your best wide receiver, you're not implementing this offense or this defense at the optimal efficiency and optimal speed that you want to. So you're right. You know, Having these guys play and getting more and more reps together will pay dividends down the line as you shuffle in better talent through trades, free agency, draft. Absolutely. Well, this is something we haven't done in a while because it wasn't worth it, but let's go through some stars and farts. Um, my biggest star of the game was B.J. Goodson. Um, B.J. Goodson, you know, part of a weak linebacker group that's definitely rebuilding, but, you know, he's had some injury-filled years his first two years. He's looked pretty good all year. Today was a mini breakout game for him with two interceptions off deflections, four tackles and one tackle for a loss. He looked pretty pretty damn good, and both of those interceptions were, you know, they came at the right time. The first one was very early in the game, led to a touchdown. The second one, you know, it was part of a series of drives it looked like we couldn't stop the 49ers at all and that really threw a wrench into what went on for the rest of the game yeah um we needed big plays in this we needed momentum breakers we needed things that can turn the tide and those two picks really helped for it um my star of the game i actually have two of them um you know jamin brown i know we had you know uh you know, he missed an assignment or two, but just the way the offensive line played collectively better, you know, having, you know, we, we haven't been on, we haven't done a show since, uh, you know, they cut Patrick Omami and that, which was, you know, we have a chance to kind of talk about that, but, you know, you could see immediately the influx of talent with somebody better and it made the rest of the line better. So I want to give him kind of a star by association as much as what he performed and I'm going to give my second start to, to Eli Manning. All right. You know, the guy has caught so much shit by the media, the fans, the, you know, 
the talk radio guys, the bloggers, the, you know, the other podcasts and stuff. And, you know, it boils down to as simple as he can still make plays happen when he has time to throw. Now, he may not be as consistent as he was five, six, seven, eight years ago. I mean, yeah, he overthrew some guys and he wasn't, you know, he's not the elite level he used to be. But what we saw in the past couple of weeks was a non-competitive quarterback or more so I say a non-competitive passing game. What you saw last night was a competitive passing game. And he made some big throws, and when they needed it the most, what Eli is known for the most for in his career, a late comeback, he delivered. So I'm going to give him a star. Yeah, and I think those stars go hand in hand like most things in football, right? I mean, what is the one constant factor that's been for Eli Manning most of this year was the lack of a pocket. And Mm -hmm. last night we saw some 10-step drops, you know, without a guy in sight. Um, which was, you know, it goes double for what you're saying about Jamon Brown was this is a decent defensive line that the 49ers have. I mean, these guys aren't scrubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I'm anxious to see, I guess, more more excited to see as Brown grows in the role of learning this offense. He's only been on the team for, you know. Three days. Yeah. <laughs> Four days. As he learns more and more of the playbook and, you know, gets more comfortable with the guys he's playing next to, I expect to see even better days from him. So. And remember, he's not just some scrub off the street that was, you know, pushing shopping carts at Target. Yeah. I mean. Or selling cars. Exactly. We were, you know, the benefit of having the worst record in the league was we had first dibs on guys that were cut. And we were able to, you know, jump on him really quick. The, the Rams didn't get rid of him because of lack of talent or lack of ability. Um, I saw actually a funny stat that he remains the only undefeated player in the NFL this year because <laughs> the Rams are undefeated when he played. When he got cut, you know, he hadn't played when they lost, and he, he's born to know with the Giants. So that's that's pretty funny. Good job. <laughs> Why don't you give me your take on the uh, the Mame cutting? What do you think that means? Oh. And um, yeah, you're right. We didn't do a show about this, but I, I addressed it briefly on Twitter. It seemed inevitable since the Brown signing. I had said what feels like eons ago not to get too excited about you know his signing. I, instead, we saw fans get excited about it anyway. Um, you know, again, I know, I know that um, fans like to hold. Omame over Gettleman's head as this ludicrous signing, but it really, if you if you put yourself in the shoes of March or whenever it happened, we hadn't had the draft yet. We didn't know what offensive lineman we were going to be able to take, and Patrick Omame was interesting in that he had some versatility in being able to play right guard as well as left guard, although he's a better left guard. Um, also, the way his contract was structured, we're not getting ass-raped by dead money up the wazoo like we were with a Jason Pierre-Paul type deal. Um, So here we are 10 weeks in, 9 weeks in I guess is when it really took place and um, we've since moved on from the idea of Omame at right guard. He's not performing. They've managed to pick somebody up off waivers who's you know much more in line with what they're trying to do offensively. And we're we're getting hit with three million dollar dead cap is is not much. 
exactly. And also, I think some people are trying to people that are just anti Gettleman are like, he's admitting his mistakes. It's not admitting your mistakes. It's something where you know the guy didn't work out. Yeah. You know, and, and they cut bait. I mean, if you they have they had a better option. A guy kind of fell into their lap, and they were able to upgrade. This team is always going to try to, and every team is always going to try to upgrade whatever they can. You know, all this Kyla Letta talk about, you see, the future is completely moot if they draft a Herbert, for example, or they get a free agent. You know, uh, somehow a Teddy Bridgewater ends up in the fold or someone like that. So you're always looking to improve your roster at any opportunity, and even at the expense of a plan that you thought you had. Yeah, and let's be clear. Was Omame part of an upgrade plan or was he a stopgap solution? Listen, if he's a three-year deal with a built-in out after two years, he's not the upgrade. He's the stopgap. Mm-hmm. And so, look how much they paid for him too. Yeah. I mean they didn't pay you know, Nick Soldier money for him either. So that's well. everybody relax. I mean there's this, this weird thing where – you know, after five, six, seven weeks that people are so quick to make these assumptions, you know, these blanket statements that the Gettleman signings like Omame, like Stewart, like Soldier are busts. Guys like Stewart were not dre- were not signed to be long-term solutions, not to be much really of anything. They're in, and the amount of money that they cost is insignificant relative to this a bigger one. So – People love to jump on the, the Stewart one first, as and and also the guy got hurt. <laughs> I mean, that could happen to anybody. You, you know, look at the 49ers. They just spent, you know, almost a hundred million dollars on a quarterback, and he's hurt. That means that the Garoppolo signing is a bust. No, you can't play. So, I think people just need to kind of give more time before you make these blanket analysis and understand the role and the importance of the roles of these guys that were signed. Yeah, and I, I feel like I've said this a bazillion times, but the fan expectation to blow things up and rebuild it in one off season is kind of what fuels that theory. The the why waste money on Jonathan Stewart theory when they could have gotten somebody else cuz they're not you can't do it overnight. These are stopgap solutions until you really upgrade this team. Teams do not spring at to life in one off season. Teams are built for long-term success through the draft. That's what people don't understand. People, you know, they think it's baseball or they think it's the NBA where three free agents changes everything. No, we've said this a hundred times too. Free agents fill in gaps. Teams are built on the draft. Yeah, I have two minor stars for Barkley and Beckham. Um, Barkley had another 100-yard performance. That's eight out of nine games now. It seemed like a silent game from him, though, from my end. Well, it did, you know? because he didn't have, like, the big breakaways, but what he did have was, uh, I, I think it was, like, a little arrow route in the fourth quarter was instrumental in yeah. getting downfield. I, I mean, he caught the ball and was off to the races before I even really, before, you know, Booger McFarlane's stupid truck could catch up to him. Um, You know, he really is a, a lethal weapon, back there and he's he's proven to be at least in my mind you know striking gold oh yeah and, and just the threat of him on the field you don't know where what, what they're going to do is as dangerous if not more dangerous when he's actually producing yeah um and and beckham although he only had four catches on 11 targets he still managed 73 yards and two touchdowns 
probably would have had more in a couple of situations that I'm sure you've seen on Twitter. You know, slipped at the goal line. Another one he almost wrangled in with one hand. You know, there was one where he was uncovered and they went to a run play instead. Uh, And then there was like a 77-yard bomb that was rainbowed by Eli Manning and got broken up. But, yeah, but, yeah, and everybody makes the assumption based on that one throw. He has no more arm, and that's the end of it. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> but but beyond his stats, Odell really did uh, have a huge impact on that game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There were some farts though, and I I'm gonna single out uh, Landon Collins first, probably. Um, he struggled really badly in one-on-one coverage with Kittle. Um, he didn't do so well in zone coverage, no matter who he was covering. He was, you know, he made a couple plays here and there in the run game, but I think James Betcher is sort of finding out what he has and what he doesn't have in Landon Collins, and he is not, you know, Cam Chancellor, you know. Can I can I ask you a question? Sure. You think he's got some little injury or something going on where he's not 100%? I'm not sure. I mean, it, I mean, it certainly could I, be. I get it. it's a different scheme, and I get it that they're trying different things with him, but he's very ordinary out there. And mm-hmm. You don't see, like, that spring in the step, and, you know, as you can tell right away, you can identify these guys that are like, this guy's an animal, this guy's the defense, and we've not seen that almost at all this year, and, you know, I'm just curious if he's not 100% healthy. I mean, it's certainly possible. It's football, right? I mean... Yeah, you you see nothing from a guy all season, then the season ends, and you hear he's going in to clean debris out of his ankle, or you know something like that. It's it's absolutely possible. Uh, didn't he didn't he have something last off season? He had a broken arm, the very okay, end of so, the season last year, right? Yeah, so that's yeah, so that's not gonna. It's not like a knee or something or you know a, a lower body injury or anything. So yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where Betcher has moved him around. I mean, he played mostly like a linebacker this whole game, which, you know, I don't think that's his forte. I mean, he's an in-the-box safety first, but he does have coverage ability, so he's versatile, but he shouldn't be strictly in coverage. He shouldn't really be in man-to-man coverage often. Um, Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where if you're going to put him in man coverage, you want to disguise it like he's coming in on a blitz first or something like that. Nothing to Mm -hmm. be exploited. Uh, I think that's that's most of what it is, is Betcher is moving things around the same way Shermer is moving things around, the same way we've had nine different combinations of offensive linemen or whatever the stat is. Yeah, I mean, this is a team in flux. For the next year, two, three years, you're going to see big roster changes, big shuffling of starters to bench warmers, you know, guys in and out. It's just it's the way it's going to be for a while, so... I think uh, Alec Ogletree played like shit, too. Ugh. You know, again, in coverage, in the middle of the field, he had a stupid blow to the head penalty. He didn't even really look that that um, impactful in the running game. It, just an all-around bad performance for him. You know, it's it's okay, it happens, but definite fart from me. Yeah, it kind of sucks because he's one of those guys that's been in the kind of the crosshairs of bust move. Yeah. And... uh I was kind of a turd last night. Yeah. Rojas kicking out of bounds. Ugh. It's That's so, his it's so third strange. time this year doing yeah. it? Yeah. And I think he did it last year, too. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm no kicker, but that seems to be the dumbest mistake you can make. 
Yeah. It's uh, and it's 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 a hefty penalty too to do that. You know, it really puts it sets your team up behind the eight ball because we've seen all the percentages of when you start on the twenty versus starting on the thirty versus starting on the forty and everything. So this is not a team that has much of a margin for error based upon their skill level and performance to gift teams yardage like that is is not good. That that has to stop. You know, defensively, I don't want to say you know only negative stuff about it. I, I noticed a couple of times they, they experimented with this idea of having, you know, I, you had mentioned some time that we've had five, six, seven, eight guys down around the line of scrimmage and it was going to come bite us. They mm-hmm. experimented there where they had, you know, it looked like in an obvious passing situation, we had about five to six guys standing around and kind of wandering around the line of scrimmage. And yeah. it looked like it completely confused Kittle as to who was coming and who was dropping. And mm-hmm. I thought that was, that was an interesting move. And one of them, uh, Curtis Riley, came screaming in on the edge. He got upended by the running back, but he right got behind upended, him. But the thing was, he was full sprint when yeah. that happened, yeah. Yeah, and, and right behind him was Grant Haley coming in. And I think it was too much. It overwhelmed Kittle. He just kind of threw to his first read, who was well short of the sticks, you know, and and that's sort of the thing that I expected more of when James Betcher was on board. You know, maybe it just took him some time. And you know, let's face it, the defensive roster is is far worse now than what it was at the beginning of the season with snacks on the roster, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, you're right. When you're trying to be aggressive. You know, you're trying. That means you're putting people on islands. You no, know, not just your cornerbacks, but you know, all different places. And yeah. when you don't have that talent. You know, you lose confidence and, you know, you get a little more vanilla. So, I mean, the offense looked like an actual offense last night. What we've been seeing for the last forever weeks now has been this sort of absolute fucking shit show. Like a a peewee offense. That's what it looked like. It looked like peewee football. I remember specifically as a kid, it was a whole bunch of dives up the middle that went nowhere. And then, like one play would be like a pitch out to somebody for 70 yards for a touchdown or, you know, whatever. Well, I mean, that's kind of what this offense has been up until this point, right? Well, well it hasn't been a, an offense that has any attempt really to attack anything. It's more of a prevention of doom. It's yeah. how, what, what do we do to prevent Eli getting killed? What do we do to get ourselves not in second and 13? What do we do to prevent a potential fumble? That's not running your offense. That is in full protect mode. So what we saw last night was because the offensive line was playing a lot better. They're actually trying to attack and do run their offense. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. You know, the methodology behind why and whatever Mm -hmm. is, 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 you know, not wholly irrelevant, but somewhat irrelevant. I mean, it's just what the fans have been. It's certainly what I've been used to see is this garbage waiting for a big play to actually get some points on the board because we weren't really matriculating down the field with all that much effectiveness. Occasionally, we had a couple drives in Atlanta that looked pretty nice, definitely Carolina, but for the most part, it was this abysmal dross and then, you know, one (laughs) big play from Barkley and they were in field goal range. Um, But last night looked like an actual offense. It was like I was watching NFL football again. Um, yeah, you know, moving down the field, time to throw. I mean, holy shit! Uh, working through progressions, fine. 
scramble drills even. I mean, the first touchdown to Beckham was definitely Beckham sat in the zone and then kind of drifted to the back of the end zone because he had time to do so. Um, things that all the things we think Eli can still do, and I think things that Gettleman and Shermer believe when they came up with this plan at the start of last offseason. They, they thought he can, given time, still run their offense the way they want it run. Now, one game doesn't make it, you know, I was just berating people before for saying, oh, that one pass must prove something. One game doesn't prove anything either. No, of course not. The game definitely proved to me, though, that you can't put all the blame solely on Eli for how bad this passing game has been this year. What, one thing I also noticed, and I don't know if you noticed this too, but, you know, I've seen other people talk about the creativity that looked a little differently on offense. You know, the utilization of a fullback was much more apparent, some commitment to the run game, some play action. But how about the fact that we didn't see the play clock getting down under five? We saw a little bit more tempo. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if that's something they saw you know, in the San Francisco, the game planning for San Francisco. I think maybe or, just the bye week and evaluating themselves. I, that could be. And maybe, again, having Brown on the offensive line, they thought that maybe the potential for protection might be there. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I definitely did notice that. And that's something we talked about a few weeks ago on this show. Yeah. Like, why aren't we doing a little more up, up tempo? You know, it's what Eli has done best over his career and uh, and give it a shot. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Al Ogletree before as one of those crosshairs for Dave Gettleman pickups. But what about any um what about any praise for maybe picking up Corey Coleman? Well, again, small sample size, but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people watch hard knocks. They saw what he you know, his thing, they see he's been on four teams this year. And it sounds like one of those you could take a flyer and don't have High expectations, but um, <laughs> on, on kick returns alone. No kidding. Now we haven't had that since uh, who was the David last Wilson? Yeah, <laughs> you know that's you know, we're talking five six years ago now. Yeah. So um, again, let's see it a little more consistently over the next couple of weeks or something. But you know, sometimes when you shop in the bargain basement, uh, you know the bargain bin, you you get a deal. So. Yeah, when you're the first in line to the bargain bin. The first exactly the first right. one at the Black Friday sale. Let's keep it seasonal here. <laughs> yeah, let's not punch out anybody to get your uh, $20 TV, please. <laughs> um, Got another fart for you. And we oh, go for it. Before. Love farts. Ugh. This was Gas Fest 2018, the ESPN production of Monday Night Football. Go for it. I'll let you tear into this first. Really let it well, run. My, you know, my problem with ESPN. No, everybody knows who follows me on Twitter knows how all ESPN cares about is promoting the next ESPN product, program, personality. And last night they just had a, an unprepared trio of analysts. You know, I, I, I don't understand how you're in a fourth quarter tie game. And that's the time to start rehashing the most obvious storyline that everybody who knows football, let alone 
a fan base who's probably the majority of the people watching a turd of a game like that. And it's just, you know, Booger McFarlane, sure he's a nice guy. He may be the worst pure analyst Monday Night Football has ever had. You know, at least Dennis Miller was brought in for comedic effect. You know, you can go through all the things that he said, and it's like that's wrong or just football 101. Talking about things like that was a quite a tackle to the, you know, grabbing his right leg when he's grabbing the guy's upper waist. It's like, what are you watching, dude? <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was very painful to watch. It's just, it's just they distracted every effort from what you're trying to watch, and people are trying to watch the game. Nobody tunes in solely because of an announcer. They didn't tune in, tune in solely because Howard Cosell and Don Meredith were the announcers in the 70s. They tuned in because... It was football on prime time, and there was, you know, you watch your local team and that back then. Nobody tunes in because of Troy Aikman. Nobody tuned in because of John Madden. These networks don't get that. And, you know, that was just a brutal watch for three and a half hours. And, you know, normally I'm watching Monday Night Football. I'm watching, I'm doing other things. I'm, you know, we're getting ready to tape this show, and, you know, it's on in the background. So this is one of the first times I truly watched kickoff to final gun and it's just it's painful i mean it's all around booger mcfarland's an easy target i I think you've pretty much said everything there is to say about how useless he is on the field he adds nothing um he adds nothing it's just worthless and it's a a negative because they have they always have to feel they have to put the camera on him when he's saying nothing yeah so instead of seeing how the defense is lining up, seeing, you know, are we do, are they going no huddle or are they go, you know, or are they huddling up or something? No, we're seeing this bozo just talking from a position. It's like, it's not interesting. You know, for, for the record, the, for the record, I don't ever need to see the analysts talking, especially yeah. when shit's going on. I mean, you know, if, if there's a timeout and instead of going to commercial, you want to cut to the booth while they're talking. Okay, fine. But that's pretty much the only time I know what they look like and I don't care. I'm they, not. Yeah, they're not the stars. It's not. It's not about them. Uh, and the other thing that bugs me and all the networks are doing this now is this in between second and third down. Let's cut away for a 10 second commercial. I mean, <laughs> you know something? If they were doing this and replacing actual TV timeouts so we can get these games done in 250, I'd be all for it. I mean, I have no problem in soccer where they put the ads over the scoreboard, but you're getting a commercial-free broadcast. We're well, still soccer's the, the sa- best. It's not even a question. Yeah, soccer and, and Olympic hockey are the best. But they are keeping the same amount of TV timeouts. They're keeping the same amount of you know diversions on the screen. And now... The 10 to 15 minutes in between commercials where you're losing that natural flow because all of a sudden the screen's minimized and they have to put these little micro commercials on. It's a terrible ha- uh, trend it's getting. It's not going to change. You're seeing it now on like nightly news they're doing it. You know, every opportunity to, to – to, uh, Good Morning America does it now. Dude, that's the new phase and the new cool thing to do. Except it ain't cool. Yeah. It's, it's a little unfair, but – Jason Witten needs a, a full season under his belt to get ready for broadcasting. Uh, I mean, he's good when he's analyzing, but anything off the script, he sounds like an idiot. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, 
I think he said, are you kidding me, about seven times. Yeah. And he definitely said something along the lines of, you need to slide into second base like a second baseman at one point. Yeah, that, I mean, the problem with ESPN is, unlike Fox and unlike CBS, they don't have a fourth string and a fifth string where a a play-by-play guy or a color commentator or a sideline reporter can work their way up and get their reps and get better and better and better. Now, NBC and ESPN, one team. So when you're hiring a, a Tony Romo, when you're hiring a Witten, that's, you know, they're green. They have no – and that was one of the things that going back to the 70s that Howard Cosell used to always blast like Don Meredith. It's like you're not an announcer. You're, you're an athlete. Why are you in here taking a job that – guys who that's their profession do. Mm. So, I mean, CBS got very lucky with Tony Romo, um, but Witten needs work. You know, oh, he has badly, insights. Yeah. But yeah, he's just, he's not an announcer. He's not a polished guy. He went to Syracuse or someone in, in his degree in journalism or broadcast journalism. So, again, it's all this thing where these networks still think we're tuning in to watch and listen to these guys. We're not. Yeah, if you, you go to a bar and you watch a game, there's no sound. You're not getting any less impact of watching a game and enjoying it than listening to some guys with their their cliches, their four storylines, their biases, all of that. You know what's interesting, and, and I'm only thinking of this now. You know the ESPN pregame show and like the the halftime group consists of guys I think are better off the script, like Steve Young. You know, while I don't think he's all that interesting, I think is probably just as analytical as Jason Witten and is probably better on his feet. Why are those roles not reversed? Why is Steve Young not considered for the booth and Jason Witten is? Well, I guess it comes down to what what do you really want in your color commentator during a game? I mean, do you want a real analytical guy, you know, someone like a, a – you know, who, who's the best out there really of breaking down? Like a Chris Collinsworth? Collinsworth probably, yeah. Yeah, or do you want a personality, someone who's just going to get excited? Uh, you know, for all you people who watch the NBA, you can have a Hubie Brown who breaks down every single play, or you can have a Clyde Frazier who, you know, kind of watches it as a fan and brings in enthusiasm and excitement. I mean, to me, I kind of, you know, I have eyes. This isn't radio. You don't need to rehash exactly what I just saw. Tell me something I don't know. Tell me how this play developed. You know, give me timely stats and timely trends and timely things that I don't know. I, I don't need to hear. You know, I don't know what Witten's voice was before he started this career, right? I mean, could you pick out his voice out of you know twenty other tight ends in the NFL? Hell no, no. No. Can you tell me what his personality was like? No. Can you tell me if he was smart or not? No. Not so, really. It's just a weird thing. It's like, oh, here's a guy that, you know, played, and let's just have him on there. I'm not really sure. Yeah. yeah nevertheless, that's that's the biggest fart of the night. Um, yeah. You know, between the 49ers at two and seven at the time, and the Giants at one and seven, the worst party was ESPN, by yeah. far. Yeah. It was an entertaining game. I mean, it was you know. Not a terribly played game. It was close. I mean, I I actually would rather watch two two and seven teams than a 
uh, ten and one play a three and nine team. Yeah. You know, you're getting kind of a level playing field, and you know, you might have an entertaining game. And let me tell you something: if you want entertainment, you should go to iTunes and SoundCloud and follow Just Giants because we are super entertaining. Oh my God, we're the best two and seven podcast there is. I don't think there's another one that comes close. I don't think so. I mean, we're not going to get the first round draft pick for uh, podcast next year, but hey, we don't need it. You enjoy each uh, forty-five minute episode. Be sure to follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, the The show also has a Twitter account at Just Giants Pod, where it bumps all that stuff. In case you don't check your iTunes or SoundCloud all that often, um, it's like <laughs> a nice little reminder. And as always, I'm on Twitter at football underscore Grump, where I my my opinions are much more frequent than they are in this uh, twice a week show. He did a nice job last night, uh, kind of live tweeting throughout the game. So. Oh yeah, that, so I was I was um, live from Grump headquarters, uh, watching on my <laughs> NFL app on my phone with my computer right in front of me, ready to tweet with a keyboard. So I was on fire there. <laughs> You'll catch me as always on Twitter at the Cranky Fan. Check out also my companion podcast, Mark and the Cranky Fan, where we talk all things Florida Gator football. So. Um, we are inching closer and closer to the Florida-Florida State game where I will definitely be turning up, starting really starting to cook with gas on Twitter as we get ready for that. So This week there will be a preview episode for the upcoming match against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Another big grudge match for me. <laughs> Probably the most important game of the season at this point for the Giants. Well, we know it's the most important one for Grump and myself because... We are already in debt to a couple of Buck fans from last year. We've doubled up our bet for this year. We need the Giants to win this game. Yeah. You know, draft picks be damned. <laughs> you know, for all those sponsors we don't have, we need to win this game to lighten <laughs> our 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 debt load. So yeah, yeah. If we lose this game, we'll start a start a GoFundMe to, to pay <laughs> our debts and our gambling addiction. So yeah, we will have a um, we'll have a show coming up on Thursday night. We still have to figure out the logistics. I will be on vacation in Hawaii starting next Saturday. So we got to figure out how we're going to get a uh, if we even will have a show where Grump will be going solo or not, or we'll, we'll figure it out. So just you know, like Grump said, check us out on Twitter for updates on how we're going to do this. Yeah, absolutely. That's the place to go to see what's upcoming. Because if you got to listen to just me, it's going to be a lot shorter. <laughs> alright everyone I hope you're excited over this win and the upcoming games I know I am let's go Giants go Giants go Giants